Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode on this uh, this fantastic program. I have to say it's fantastic because I really enjoy, I genuinely enjoy the conversations I have with these incredible guests that we have. And today's guest is no less. Uh, today I'm joined by David Sober. David has been running a CIC, it's called a community interest company, a social enterprise company, uh, all geared around young people. Now I was really drawn to this because he's the CEO of Ultra Education and it helps young people, particularly from disadvantaged backgrounds, to learn about entrepreneurship. And I, when I was reading about this, I just thought, I've seen a lot of companies that do something similar, but there was some depth to what David was doing. So I just reached out to David and said, let's have a conversation about what you're doing. I'd love to know more. So David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Cole. It's a pleasure to be here. And what an introduction. Um, <laughs> so I should say, first of all, I'm the COO, the, the Chief Operating Officer, not the CEO. He's far <laughs> cleverer than me. <laughs> I, should, I should put that out there right now. But what, what do we do? We, we exist with a mission to inspire young people to believe that they can be better than perhaps they might thought thought they can. Um, we use the vehicle of entrepreneurship to inspire or to draw out a level of, of confidence, to instill a level of resilience. And when we talk about resilience, we talk about, for instance, understanding that failure isn't necessarily a bad thing and can often be a very good thing, actually, particularly if you can fail fast and move on. But above all, whilst on the tin, what we are teaching is the fundamentals of starting and running a successful business. What we are really doing is instilling in a cohort of young people, starting from as young as seven year old, seven years old, excuse me, through to approximately 18. We are instilling in that cohort a belief that they have the capacity to go beyond expectations. I love that. So basically, you're hanging your hook on this 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 thing around entrepreneurship, around teaching business skills, but actually what you're doing, you're building in self-esteem, um, self-worth, confidence. And, and you know what? This is so big, isn't it, in society? And I, you and I were just talking uh, before we went live, and I was saying, you know, I went for a morning walk today, and I was talking, I, I was thinking to myself, uh, as you stroll through social media, which can be a da dangerous thing sometimes because social media has this way of infiltrating our minds and distorting our thoughts. Uh, and, and I find myself thinking, look at all these people that are getting 100 likes, 200 likes, 300 likes for their posts. Look at these people who are so confident. And I find myself thinking, is there a touch of envy or jealousy here? And if there is, is that the right thing? But is the real issue about me and my self-esteem? And I talk to you about a philosophy, an Asian philosophy, an Indian and Pakistani philosophy, uh, something called Nazar. 
It's something that's instilled in us as children. Never celebrate your successes too much just in case somebody wishes you bad luck. So consequently, you find a lot of Asian peoples will not talk about their successes. And I was saying to you, I I do so well in so many areas. I, you know, I've pushed myself and I find myself that I'm able to achieve something, but then I doubt myself straight away. It's ridiculous, isn't it? So how do you break through that solid wall of um, self-doubt within young people? It's a great question, actually, and there is no... Or certainly, I am, you know, it's above my pay grade to talk about the science that sits behind it. But what we do is we start with identifying one thing. Now, if you, if you go on the street and you ask 10 people to identify what entrepreneurship is, you'll likely get 10 different answers. Yeah. At Ultra Education, we define entrepreneurship as doing what you love and making money from it. And that underpins, yeah, it underpins everything we do. So the first point we start with is, what is your passion? Where do you come from? What is your heritage? What do you love? And then in a nutshell, what we do is we take that and we help young people work on a way to monetize that. That's basically what we do in a nutshell. You know, I could give you uh, an example. I met um, a young person at a pupil referral unit down in, in Hounslow a few months back and he was uh, a, a young boy 12 years old or so uh, of Middle Eastern heritage who for some strange reason spoke fluent Italian and I never got to understand how that how that happened what a lovely language to be fluent in as well to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly so he 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 was you know clearly passionate about all things Italian but hung on to his roots which was a great thing to see and so we worked with him on trying to link the two together and he came up with an idea of a pasta sauce with Middle Eastern herbs. Oh wow. Yeah. Great idea. Great we you know we didn't we didn't come up with the idea. It was his idea. We just helped him take that idea. You know it's it's got a nice USP to it. You know, how would you market that? How would you how would you sell it? Who are you gonna sell it to? Bits of research to understand. Has anybody else done that before? And if they have you know, are they successful? If, if they're successful, why are they successful? If yeah. they're not successful, understand what went wrong in order to give yourself the best opportunity to create a business doing what you love and making money from it. This is it. This is it. You know, some of the, sometimes the simple ideas are the best ideas. And I love the fact that uh, you've reached into a, a, a young person who's probably come from a very challenging background if he's in a pupil referral unit. I, I don't think I've ever told you, but my wife is actually a teacher in a pupil referral unit. Okay. Uh, she's a GCSE English teacher and the passion that she has for these children with incredible backstories, uh, the passion that she has to get them to excel in their GCSE English is second to none. I love people with passion. Uh, so I think that's another reason why I was drawn to what you were doing. So, I mean, there, there's an example of what you can do when you when you get somebody impassioned about something, you change their mindset, change that belief system, and you then, it's almost like winding up a toy, isn't it, and letting it go, it's fulfilling its true potential, to use an analogy. You must have some real challenging cases as well. I mean, how is it, how, how do you deal with the, the, the young people who have come from... Um, from very, very challenging backgrounds who almost have zero belief in themselves. How do you build that confidence in them? 
it's a number of things. Um, I think one of the things that we have found, well, actually, there are two things that, that we found that work quite well for us. One is, due to the nature of our business, a lot of the, the team, you know, we're a very small organization, but quite mm-hmm. a few of the team have a similar background. They're from areas of, I guess, what we would call deprived parts of, of London. Uh, a number of them are ex-looked-after children as well. And so they can relate to a number of the challenges that that, that some young people um, are going through. The other thing that we do and we found that works really well, and it's it's kind of a bit of a cliche nowadays, but the concept of representation matters. And that is to provide opportunities for young people to see and to meet people who have walked in their shoes. And I think when you you know, no, ma- no matter the challenge, or to a point, no matter the challenges that you are going through, if you see somebody who is successful, but perhaps went through similar challenges to you, whatever they may be, then you start to believe this is possible, actually. And that's a key part of what we do, is showing young people that they can be more than they perhaps thought that they could. You can look at this from another angle. Here's a really strong argument that you're making there for organisations to take seriously the the issue around diversity, around representation, around inclusivity. Um, You know, very often we hear a lot of talk around why EDI is so important, but it's when you listen to examples coming from the other side where you see children who are inspired by people who have walk their path or look like them or behave like them or can empathize with them but being successful it it literally serves as this energy boost for that young person to overcome all of the challenges inside their brain inside their experiences to actually then push forward and and try and strive towards something similar to that person that they they look up to now you know i i cannot support that any more than I am already but you know I'll give I'll give one example that just springs to mind straight away unfortunately I haven't had the pleasure of meeting her but I remember watching the speech of Kamala Harris when Joe Biden was was inaugurated and I remember listening to this thing and thinking you know I was listening to when she was talking about and I, and I forget the words that she used but I actually put a post on LinkedIn about this because I felt so strongly that what she was saying was bang on and it was the you know, and it was something along the lines of, for every young girl that's out there that looks like me, believe this is possible. I'm a, I'm standing here showing you this is possible. And I just thought that was such an incredible message to put out there for not just everyone in the, in the States, but just around the world is this is the art of the possible. And it's also leadership responsibility, isn't it? I've always seen... Uh, myself, whether I wanted it or not, I've always seen myself as a pioneer uh, for uh, black and ethnic minority within the police service. When I joined the police service back in January 1983, I was a a brown speck in a sea of white, literally. Um, uh, So I was a pathfinder and I knew that other younger people would be looking at me to see what my journey was like and you know the fact that I managed to get to these incredible levels within the organization in the service and be able to do all the amazing things that I managed to achieve um, hopefully that inspired others to follow that path and bring more people of color into the police service and and similar to you people will be looking at you and 
noticing how you're running a social enterprise or being a chief operating officer, a very senior level in, a, in, in an organization, and watching how you behave, and they'll be emulating your action. So we have, as, we, as leaders, we have this incredible responsibility far beyond our day-to-day responsibilities of doing whatever it is that we're doing. We have this incredible other responsibility. Uh, and, you know, some people call it the leadership shadow, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong there at all. I'm in, a, I'm in an incredibly privileged position. And my background is, is from the corporate world. I worked in, in the software space and particularly in analytics for quite a while. And I actually got quite fortunate uh, in landing a role as a, as a chief operating officer for, for a charity uh, a number of years ago or so. We were running um, outdoor adventure learning for, for actually for families, actually at four centres across the southeast. But it was the first time throughout my, you know, the ups and downs of my career, it was the first time that I felt I could truly make a difference. It wasn't just about ideas. Now I could actually have ideas and do something about it, but also encourage other people yeah. to bring ideas and be able to feed back to those people, you know, great idea, we're going to do it, or actually we can't do it, and here's why we can't do it. So it's an incredibly privileged position um, to be in. You know, I'm very fortunate, and I, and I try to do the best I can every day to, to support the people that we work with, both externally and, and internally. And you've had a great journey, David, and it, it, it's wonderful to read all the things that you've done. But tell me, I mean, we talked about self-awareness, and it seems like self-awareness is evolving as a theme uh, in this conversation. Have you ever doubted yourself? What has, what has that been like? You know, what's it like when you are in that space of incredible self-doubt and low self-esteem and, you know, just judging yourself in harshly in that way? Have I ever doubted myself almost every day? <laughs> almost every day, you know. I, I thought I'd ask the question. I knew what the answer was going yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah, almost, almost every day. Uh, and I guess the, the further... The further up the chain you move in, in your career, the more impact that has, you know, because you start to think about, you know, that question of, of what happens if I fail? Yeah. What happens if I do something wrong? What happens if I make the wrong decision? You know, and when you're working at certain levels of an organisation, the impact of that, if you, if you fail, if you make the wrong decision, is, is, is perhaps less than as you move further and up the chain. Um, but I think that... Um, you know, and I, I haven't, I haven't cracked it. I don't have a, I don't have a silver bullet to it, other than to say that, um, surround yourself with with people who who are more experienced than you, and, and lean on people for support where 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 it makes sense to do so, because you are gonna, or at least I, I doubt myself. Uh, you know, you, experience teaches you what works and what doesn't, but you're still gonna have those those times of doubt and and. Speak to people and, and, you know, get mentors, you know, and, and it's really, this is, this is really important. It's something I've learned. A mentor doesn't have to be someone who's walked the walk, done everything, and Elon Musk, you know, everything is great. They only have to be a few steps ahead of you or even one step ahead of you. That's, just, that's, that's all you need. Just for somebody that understands what it is that you're trying to do and it's just a, a step or so ahead of you and they are incredibly invaluable to to. to so helping you walk that path. There's some beautiful nuggets of gold within there. And you're right, you know, self-doubt is something that everybody struggles with. I struggle with self-doubt every single day, uh, despite all the things that I do. You know, and this week, um, two days ago, I had a check come through and it was a royalties check, uh, David. 
I never thought I'd get a, a royalties check. I, I never envisaged that kind of thing would happen in my life. I was a, I was a cop for 32 years, you know, film and arts, all of this kind of stuff. It really wasn't my bag. And, uh, you so you sort of watch the TV and you see you you think to yourself what kind of amazing people are involved in these dramas and these programs, and here I was I got a check for uh, uh, for being a co-creator of a police drama that's currently being filmed by the BBC up in Scotland. Brilliant! And I keep pinching myself and think that came as a result of an idea, a conversation that I had with somebody. And here it is, it's being filmed by the BBC, no less. And they're paying me, you know, here is a check for me coming up with that idea. And even now, even now I'm punching, I'm pinching myself thinking that didn't happen. That, that will never happen again type of thing, you know. Um, I, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I had a phone call out of the blue by the, the production company that, uh, that films the Hunted programme. And they said, we've been looking at your profile. We really like what you do. We want you to come in for a screen test, whatever that is. We want you to come down to London for a screen test for the position of the head hunter uh, on this programme. And I went down for this very bizarre, very surreal experience where I had a camera shoved into my face and I had to do all of this, pretend there was a, I was doing a briefing. It was an incredible experience. But I found myself wondering, why on earth did you reach out to me of all people? Because I'm nobody. So it's this self-doubt, this constant self-doubt. And I think the nuggets of gold for me are exactly what you said. It is about who you are surrounding yourself with. And there's a, a really powerful quote that uh, I once heard from Jim Rohn. And he said, you become the average of the five people whose company you keep most. So I started thinking, who do I speak to more than anybody else on a regular basis? And are they of a higher quality than me? Just as you say, because you become the average. So if they're lower quality, you're going to go down in your average. If you're higher quality, they're going to be higher in your average. And, and I think the other thing that you mentioned there, which I think is so important in leadership, is vulnerability. For goodness sakes, we're human beings. And you're, as a CEO, you suffer with self-doubt. Me having been a senior police officer, running my own business, working with all sorts of incredible organizations, I have self-doubt. So it must be a human trait. So therefore, the more we are vulnerable with it, the more we show people that, hey, you know what? I'm just, I'm just like you. Um, I, I have spoken to CEOs of large organizations who are suffering with self-doubt. It is a human trait. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. And I think we need to create a society where it's okay to say these kind of things. But I think with social media, the advent of social media, everything's about instant gratification and this false creation of 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 um, these incredible lifestyles of people, what they call the Instagram lifestyle, you know? So some of it's not real. So we have to bring some reality back. And I guess that's one of the things that you're doing with the young children that you're you're working with. Yeah, abs absolutely. And, and if I can come back to something you talked about on that, on that leadership theme, and you talked about vulnerability, and I think that is so important that you recognise it and, and, and don't hide it. Uh, mm. as a leader as well you know the, the best leaders are you know just humans people that you you connect with I, I was having a moment of, of self-doubt or one of the many moments of self-doubt some time ago and I was thinking do you know what I go through every day because we're a, a much smaller organization than your average you know I end up you know going into the weeds and getting involved in 
in a bunch of stuff and, uh, and basically winging it every day, you know, answering challenges, trying to plan and so on and so forth. And I remember and I forget, and it's, it's frustrating because I forget the person that I watched a, a video of, but I remember this thing that he said stuck with me. He said, I have met a whole raft of leaders of organisations, big and small. You know, I've had the privilege of interviewing them. And he said, and to a man and woman, there is one thing, and that is that they are all winging it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are all winging it. This is what, this is what he said to me. Yeah. And I, oh, he said on, on the video, and I thought, you know what? That's such an incredible message to hear from someone like me. You know, I'm, I'm early in my, in my leadership um, career, but to listen to that and to hear that was a, was a great thing to hear. I think the other thing that I would say is emotional intelligence which is a little bit of a theme of what we're talking about, is so is so important. And there was a famous person, and I forget the name of the person, that said, emotional intelligence or EQ is more important than IQ because IQ can be replicated by technology. EQ can't. And when you look at leaders, you know, the, the best leaders are those that I think, anyway, have that EQ in spades and are able to relate that to, to their teams. That is why... With the work that we do, everything is about EQ. Yes, you've got the technical skills of leadership, and they can be learnt skills. Um, and I always say that IQ, technical skills, uh, get you to the door and get you to knock on the door, and they might even open the door. But once you walk in through that door to su succeed, it really is based around your EQ. How you build relationships? What's your level of self-awareness like? How do how how well can you change some of the traits within you that aren't serving you very well to traits that will serve you well? How well do you understand the context, the environment in which you are operating? Or are you making clumsy mistakes because you don't really understand your team, your organization, the language, or whatever it might be? So all of this stuff, again, I think EQ... Um, whilst for some people will be a natural state anyway, because they might have had that in their upbringing, they might have had that within their value system, um, a lot of EQ can be learned. And when you have an EQ culture, when you have an emotionally intelligence culture in your organisation, you don't need to worry about things like diversity because it, it shapes itself. It's an outcome uh, as a, 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 a result of a highly empowered culture. Yeah, agree with that. Agree with that 100%. And I think that, uh, you know, you and I are both fellows of the Leadership Society. We were talking about that. And, you know, I've, I've recently been uh, invited in as, as a fellow. Um, but you've been a fellow for some time now. Uh, one of the benefits that you were talking about was, was the quality of the conversations that we can have with like-valued leaders from all sorts of spaces, and it doesn't really matter what industry they're from, it's the thought process that, that goes on inside their head, the values that drive them. And I love being attracted to like-valued people, like-valued leaders. Uh, the depth that you get from them is just second to none. I 100% agree with that. Society and Leadership Fellows, really fortunate and privileged to, to have been invited, like yourself, to, to join. I think it's, you know, as you've said, it's it's... You know, one of, the, one of the things that jumped out at me from my first conversation down at Windsor Castle was, you know, I was surrounded by a, a bunch of, of leaders, pretty much all 
further down the line than I was in my leadership career, but they're all, as well as being excellent leaders, they're all excellent human beings. And it was a real learning. One of the things I took away from that conversation was it, it is not just about how can I become a better leader. One of the things that, that I drew from that conversation was how can I be a better person? And, and that, that, that's driven me ever since, you know, that conversation three, four years ago. I, I love the fact that uh, just focusing in on who you are as a human being will translate into who you become as a leader as well. So what do you think are like the key, key things that you have implemented in your life to become that better human being? I think that, you know, sticking on the theme of, of EQ, um, having more empathy yeah, or, or, or recognising the need to, to have more, more, more empathy. And empathy is becoming a bit of a super, super strength uh, in today's society. You know, it is something that more and more uh, organisations are crying out for. Certainly more employees are crying out for more empathy from their leaders. Um, you know, that's one thing that we've learned in recent years, definitely. Definitely, definitely, because empathy makes you more relatable. You know, people are uh, more willing to open up to you if they recognise that you have a level of understanding of what they're going through. Improves your communication, deepens that communication because, you know, that connectivity is that, yeah, I get that. You know, and again, I would love to be able to claim this this saying, but, but, but it wasn't me that came up with it, but I, <laughs> I certainly live by it. And that is surround yourself with with smart people. Give them the tools that they need to succeed and get out of the way. Yeah. You know, and I think that that is, it is so powerful for me. Uh, I try to do it. I don't always, I don't always succeed, uh, particularly in a smaller organization where we perhaps don't have the funding to give the, the tools that could really, really make a difference. But it is still that fundamental principle of empower people. You know, uh, as a leader, it's not my job to go and do the do. It's my job to lead a, a team of people to go do great things therein lies a really important lesson of leadership uh, to be a leader it's not that you need to know how to do something better than anybody else it's the fact that you need to have the ability to influence other people who can do it better than you another thing about about leadership that i found is is help to remove barriers to people's success or to the team's success is is just as, as important. Again, it's I don't need to do the work, so to speak, anymore, but it's helping others. It's clear in the pathway, isn't it? So you're almost like going in front of your team, making sure the pathway is as clear as possible for them to be able to do what it is that they do. Precisely that. Somebody once told me a really, really uh, great quote. Do you know what? It, this was 20 years ago, David, and it stuck with me, and I still use this quote now. And it said, the mark of an outstanding leader is not how good a leader you are, but how many leaders you create. And that, is, that, that has seen me through my leadership journey in the police service because I have been trying to create as many leaders behind me as possible because that, that's when I know that I've been a decent leader myself. I hear you. And it's, you know, it's interesting because it, it also tallies quite well with the work that we do around entrepreneurship. Mm. Uh, and you know we talk about entrepreneurship, and this is this is this is quite key in that when when people hear anything that's got entrepreneur in it, they think about running a running a business. 
you know, starting your own business. But it isn't, you know, that's one potential outcome to entrepreneurship, but it's not the only one. So there's running a business for yourself. There's running someone else's business and also the business of your life as well, running that. And, and It's about having the entrepreneurial mindset. Exactly the word I was going to use, the entrepreneurial mindset. And, and, and I'll, you know, I'll just throw one thing in very quickly because it's quite topical at the moment is I'm not sure if you've heard about this stuff going on about this Live Golf tournament, which is a Saudi-backed tournament, which is... Uh, Saudi back golf tournament, which is rivaling the PGA, which is the big golf golf thing in in, in the states and, and beyond. And I remember listening to Rory McIlroy, famous Northern Ireland golfer. And you know, there's a bit of an issue at the moment with some people moving across to this Saudi back tournament. I and mean, you know, there's obviously quite a bit of money involved in it. Mm. And Rory was saying uh, in an interview that people are. You know, he understands why people are moving across there. It's not necessarily something he would do, but. You know, people are running their life as a business. And so they have to make some decisions based on being an entrepreneur of their career. And I get it. I understand it. You know, would I necessarily do it myself? Who knows? But but it's it's it was just a great message to hear somebody talking about entrepreneurship in the context of your life and your career and not just in the context of, of business. No, that makes a lot of sense. And and, and even and it demonstrates the need to make good quality decisions. If you're going to make decisions, if you if you understand that you are constantly making decisions in your life, and you are you are essentially making decisions or business decisions, but business running the business of life, then you need to make good quality decisions. Uh, and the good quality decisions, fundamentally for me, is to make sure that you don't make decisions. Uh, from a negative emotional state because we tend to make bad decisions when we're in that uh, and that you have done some thinking around that uh, decision-making process. So for me, for example, you know, when I was a, a senior police officer, I was a gold commander, I was being woken up at two or three o'clock in the morning because of uh, it's incidents that were life and death incidents, maybe somebody running around with a, a gun or maybe there's a, a, a potential f- a bomb somewhere or I had to make instantaneous good quality decisions to make sure that we got a decent outcome, to make sure nobody got hurt. So I used to use a, a, a model that we're taught in the police service that I'm now teaching to other people. First, make sure you got as much information as you've got, as you can have. Ask yourself what, what gaps you've got in terms of your intelligence or your information and how you might plug those gaps. Then look to see, uh, okay, so what is it that uh, if I didn't do anything what would what could be the outcomes and what is it that i need to achieve what would be my desired outcome so really have a good understanding around that then explore so what obligations legal obligations moral obligations do i have to make this decision and then when you've done that look at all the options say so what what possible action can i take and even the action the option of take no action is an option what are the options available to me? Do a SWOT analysis on each one of the uh, options. What's the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and strengths, or the pros and cons? Take the action and evaluate it. Now, I implement that. I was implementing that anyway for like life and death decisions in the police service, but I implement exactly the same model in business decisions that I make now, in life decisions that I make now, whether it's buying a car or buying a, a new flavour of chewing gum. The option, the, the process is exactly the same. And I now have 
the ability where I can spin that model in my mind very, very quickly. Uh, and so now I teach other people to do that. I might share that model with you because it might be something useful that you could share with the young people. Please do. And actually, you know, there was, there's something that you, you touched on there that took me back to my corporate software software days actually which was and we called it the cost of doing nothing <laughs> actually is is when you're trying to convince an organization no matter how big or small they may be to to purchase some software or make a decision one of the things that is always on the table is do nothing <laughs> actually but there is a cost to that and it, it, as you well know and and so you need to have that on the table you need to evaluate it alongside the cost of doing something and often the the clincher to any deal was convincing the right person that actually the cost of doing nothing was actually far greater than the cost of doing something absolutely uh, and on that note you know every decision has a cost whether you do nothing or whether you do something uh, it's understanding that it has a cost it's whether or not you're happy with the cost happy with the risk or whether you want to do something about uh, mitigating against that risk, isn't it? David, it's been a huge pleasure talking to you. I really have enjoyed it. Uh, I look forward to meeting you in person soon. And um, for now, thank you so much and bye-bye. Thank you, Cole. Thanks for having me on the show. Take care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.